0: And welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. Before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters. Several listeners have made a monthly financial contribution to support the podcast and help defray the cost of producing these episodes. We now have a Patreon page, so supporting the podcast is super easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east.
1: Now, Bela, you mentioned earlier interesting people, and I think today we have some interesting people on. I'm excited to hear. Uh, tell us who we're talking with today on, uh, on the podcast.
0: Yeah, you're right, Mike. So uh, they've been on the podcast before. Uh, This is a father and son team, uh, Simon and Sawyer Ballant. Uh, They were on the podcast back in episode 29. And uh, they were the team uh, that bought a boat a number of years ago, having uh, zero sailing experience. They bought the boat in Florida, and I helped them move it from Florida up to uh, Narragansett Bay. And so that was our first sailing experience together. Uh, we spent about two weeks doing that. And now they're taking that same boat <clears throat> and they're getting ready to go across the Atlantic uh, in this boat. So it'll be uh, their first sort of uh, trip uh, across the Atlantic. They've taken many trips on the East Coast. They have a lot of sailing hours and a lot of experience, but you know, going across the Atlantic is uh, sort of an other level of, uh, of a passage. And uh, they're getting ready to do that. So, this podcast was sort of a conversation about uh, the preparation that has gone into uh, for them to get ready to go across the Atlantic Ocean.
1: Yeah. And Bela, like to me, okay, preparing just to go overnight is like a big deal, you know, right? Um, so, I can't even imagine what an Atlantic crossing in a, a you know, a, whatever 40 a foot boat, right, would feel like. And, you know, we've, we've had some long distance sailors on the podcast over the last few years, and you yourself have taken a few long trips, I know, but this seems like a pretty heavy lift across the Atlantic, isn't it? I
0: I think it is because you are, you're really far away. Like, like I remember when we went from Nova Scotia to, uh, Baltimore on my friend's boat. uh, Um, one of the things that I paid attention to was, uh, I think the Coast Guard helicopter has about 150-mile range. So I wanted to make sure we were never more than 150 miles away from land. <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's probably a false sense of security. But it's still, it was something that was important to me. Well, when you're going across the Atlantic, I, I, if something goes wrong, what's going what's gonna to happen is they're going to divert a big freighter or a commercial ship to try to rescue you or give you aid. That's how that's going to work, right? There's, and who there's knows no how helicopter. long that'll
1: take. It's right. a big that,
0: ocean. It's right. a big ocean, right? So anyway, you're you're out there. So you really it, it really speaks to, you know, uh, self-reliance and and being able to take care of yourself and being able to handle any situation that comes up because you are out there on your own.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is such a big kind of process to prepare for this we broke this into two episodes right Bela so this one is episode 84 and then part two which when we post that you'll find as episode 85 but no I I think this is really interesting Bela and I think we should get right to it what do you think sounds good let's dive in Mike okay hey it's Ryan Reynolds and
2: I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters May 17th Do you want to tell people the big news
0: Hey, Sawyer, Simon, welcome to hey. the podcast. Hey, Bela. Uh, nice to see you. Yeah, same here. So uh, I was trying to remember when you guys were on the podcast last, and it was episode 29. Wow. Old and, old, old and what are these, oldie. Yeah. Old yeah, well, oldie. Uh, luckily, we didn't record video in those days, so people can't go back to compare how we have all aged. Mm. Uh, but this will be episode 83, I think, if I counted correctly. So, kind of cool. uh, so, what was the last one? Was it when
3: when we were in the um, sort of a hurricane or a, a tropical storm situation?
0: Uh, hang on. Uh, so let me look at my list. Were you guys on more than once? I think we've been on uh, twice, maybe three times. Uh, I only have you down for uh, for twenty nine. Maybe you 29. cut
3: you cut the early ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're probably
0: thinking of of the business podcast, Simon, because oh, be. you you've been on that one a couple times. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I uh, I don't I only see you that one time. So anyway, welcome. I'm Glad you guys are going to do this, and uh, so we're going to talk about you guys. The two of you are planning to sail across the Atlantic Ocean, correct? Uh, this summer, sometime, mm. and uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, why you're doing that uh sort of what you've done to the boat talk a little bit about the boat and -hmm. then spend most of the time sort of talking about sort of the mental preparation that you have to go the mental the physical it's just going to be two of you so you know you got to think about watches how you're going to do all that kind of stuff uh sort of the safety things that you're going to initiate so that's sort of the things that i had on on the docket to sort of talk about make sense yeah absolutely um
3: I'm not sure the right order, but let me just kind of update uh, you is with the information that it's going to be uh, Sawyer, uh, my son, uh, who is going to be turning 25 in a couple of weeks. Uh, myself, um, who just turned 50, and then we recruited my father. Actually, mm. uh, he's come out with us for the last year or two, kind of as a passenger, but he's gotten you know more and more into it. Yeah, yeah. And so he was thrilled. So it's going to be. Uh, three generations and, wow. uh, and then in a, in a way it's four generations and that's kind of a story too. So, um, my, actually my, my grandmother and my father are both from England. Uh, my, my father was born there and they came over in the, in the late fifties. My dad was a kid. My, my grandmother was in her thirties. In um, and my grandmother actually, actually grew up on a, on a, on the South coast of England, uh, her her family, a couple generations back, had a boatyard. Her great great grandfather was a naval captain, so she's always been sort of a person into boats. And we, when we were buying the boat, she was very interested in it. And uh, anyway, she's she passed away a couple of years ago. But this year in in July, she will be, or she would have been hundred. So uh, we still have her ashes, and we're going to bring her back to uh, to her hometown. Our goal is to actually land in, in Worthing, UK, where, where she grew up and lived and uh, and bring her back there. So it's actually, in a way, kind of four generations on this, on the boat.
0: Just, wow. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize your dad was coming along. That's fabulous. Yeah. And so this has, it, in addition to sort of being a huge accomplishment, it has a lot of personal meaning to you and your family as well.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um and maybe I'll yeah I would sort of talk about it. I think one one episode before, um, Bail, you kind of asked why we got into sailing, and and I think at the time I had mentioned that one of the reasons was that Sawyer always loved boats, was obsessed with boats. When he was a little kid, like four years old, he would have a new favorite boat design every day that I had to like look at with him. And um, as he got older, you know, it became a little more challenging to find things that we could both be interested in. Right? Yeah. When you're when, you're, when they're little, you're Superman, and when they get a little older you know, you gotta, you gotta up your game, right? So, so we decided to to buy the sailboats. We could kind of experience that together. And then that morphed into this, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could figure a way to sail together, you know, to Europe uh, yeah. on team. So that's, you know, that, that's the very
0: personal aspect of it. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's great. So, so Sawyer, uh... How do you, how do you feel like, uh, are you, do you feel like the person most responsible for this, uh, the, the success of this particular journey? Uh, I don't, you know, I, I feel a little,
2: um, first I'll preface by saying that, um, I was thinking of getting jackets like Star Trek, you know, to get, <laughs> like, navigation, engineering. Yes. And, uh, I guess the engineering is the red coats, right? So. Uh, I
3: think. Science, we, <laughs> no one wants to be a red coat in this. But he doesn't, he doesn't want to be the red
2: coat. <laughs> um, and then there's science too, right? Maybe Peter can be science because he has a PhD. That's my grandfather. Um, no, I think I think this time around it's been very um, very balanced. And, and part of the reason why is because there's less, in some kind of counterintuitive ways, there's actually a lot less trip planning involved um, from a navigation perspective than there is on some of the work that we had done. So. Oh, Bailey, you joined us when we bought the boat in Florida and we're trying to motor it up the ICW and then sail you know right. along the coast all the way up to Annapolis and um, there's a lot of trip planning involved in that, right like planning the tides and you know lock times and um, so
0: marinas I, so I, I don't I don't remember doing any of that trip planning, do you, Simon? <laughs> I remember getting the the readout. Yes, the, I remember the getting of, the, the sheet of paper that said here, here's here's here it is.
3: Yeah, actually, the, I remember Bill. Sorry, not only had a you know a float plan. He actually would make a video. Uh, That's right, with the map, and then you know day by day, and with a little icon of the
0: boat traveling. So. <laughs> I remember that.
3: <laughs> so
2: yeah, so this time around, you know, we don't. I mean, it's just the the, the ocean. There isn't anything to hit. Yeah. You know, we're just going to be sailing, sailing east, in and. East. And there is going to be a lot of planning that happens when we get closer, and that's going to be, you know, weather dependent. But you know, we can't make weather-based decisions until, you know, a couple of days before we leave. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so I think that once we once we get offshore, it'll be. You know, I, I certainly plan to be very involved in the in the weather planning aspect of it and making those course changes. Um, but in the lead up to it, you know, most of the preparation for this has been. You know the, the logistics that we didn't have to think about so much in our past right. right like you know we need to make sure we uh you know have enough food to be out there for three weeks we need to make sure that our electrical system you know can sustain itself you know for three weeks without motoring all the time whereas mm-hmm. you know if you we're standing with us we'd motor all day long and that wasn't a concern um you know, make sure we have enough water and we have the ability to make water now um whereas when we were with you we just pop into a marina after a couple of days so um a very different way of prioritizing our thinking compared to some of the
3: coastal stuff that we had done done right and i would say too that another big maybe maybe what i've been more involved in is the process of thinking about um the critical systems and what systems could fail and then how to build in redundancies for those systems again when we're doing coastal cruising um, you know, you're not usually more than a few hours away from some sort of help or getting towed into a marina or you know something like that. Right. In, in this case, no one's coming right for us. So um, we've really thought about those systems and and maybe uh, I mean I hope if, have done a pretty good job of, of planning for redundancy. So we actually have like five different ways to steer the boat and six different sails. We added you know another stay so we could we could sail in different kind of conditions and uh, four different ways to communicate with the outside world. Um, you know, if, if one
0: fails, we've got another one. So we've,
3: that's been, that's been a different kind of approach for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I did some inter, uh, podcast with, uh, with a guy who left Mm -hmm. Burlington, Vermont, him and his wife, and they're down, they tripped down to the Bahamas and he's been on Mm -hmm. several episodes and he kept saying, they didn't teach me it this when I took my ASA sailing course, <laughs> right? You know, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff like you're describing right now, that you don't get in a typical sailing course uh, about redundancy and these safety systems and even even meal preparation for three weeks and you yeah. know, all all of these things you don't. That's not part of sort of the normal curriculum, right? They tell you about you know keep the red buoys on the right and agreements mm-hmm. on the left. They they tell you that kind of stuff. So, where do you where have you kind of learned these things?
2: I mean, it, I think a lot of it's just been through the process of owning this boat for five years, mm. right? And,
3: um, and yeah, I was going to say that Sawyer too. That like so, you know, we've spent so we've only only for about five years, but we've spent a lot of time on that boat. Sawyer and I as, a, as yeah. a team. um, we've gone about six thousand, you know, nautical miles, and I did the. Math at some point, it was like 2000 or plus hours on the boat or something like that. And when we're on the boat, uh, Sawyer and I, this is what we talk about all the time and think about (laughs) and conceptualize and kind of you know do some scenario planning and what ifs. And yeah, even you know, we do drills sometimes, you know, we do man overboard drills or uh, we we do drills where we need to try to anchor with no engine. and, And uh, um, so I think that's that's yeah, that's certainly part of it, and then um, you know. Reading, uh, watching YouTube, of course, uh, talking to people. I I've talked to a couple of folks who who crossed the Atlantic and kind yeah. of asked them, you know, what what um, was a surprise to so them. And actually, one of them talked about food. You know, just kind of planning uh, that that person went with a larger crew, as a race, and you know, how do you feed eight people for for days? <laughs> right, right. right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we've learned from from some folks, but
0: uh, we're definitely going to learn a lot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let me ask you a question. The, you know, there are various different rallies that people join to sail across oceans, and and they're sort of loosely organized, and they provide some sort of safety net and some sort of advice. Yeah. Uh, did you guys think about doing that, or was this just something you guys wanted to do kind of solo? I'll call it.
2: Yeah. I think I think for this one, we you know we've certainly discussed the idea of a rally, and um, we might. Keep tabs on, on what the rallies are doing. Um, you know, a lot of their communication is still on the SSB. And so if we can find their channel, we'll probably listen in on, on what they're up to. But no, I think we want to do this one alone. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of flexibility that way. Um, you know, from a, a safety net perspective, we're not, you know, if, if we're going to get rescued out in the middle of the ocean, it's probably going to be from a container ship. It's probably not going to be from another sailboat. Right. Uh, we have you know, a variety of different communication tools that allow us to facilitate that evacuation if it needs to happen, Um, you know, with or without, you know, chatting with the rally organizer on the SSB. Right,
0: right. So let's talk, let's remind folks a little bit about the boat. What is the boat? And give me some of the highlights of the things that you've done to it to sort of get it ready for this, uh, this big journey.
2: Sure. Uh, all right, so it's a uh, 1989 passport 40. Uh, it's a Bob Perry design. and uh, so 40 feet long. Um, and when we bought it, it was in yeah, really good aesthetic condition. Um, it wasn't really equipped for you know blue water sailing, I would say. You know it spent most of its life in the Bahamas um, and the, the you know the coast of Florida. And so that was kind of the the it was equipped for that type of sailing, right? you know, you know, one or two day passages. The previous owner had sailed it up to Maine coastally. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing super far offshore. And so then over the past five years, we've, you know, slowly been adding equipment to it, uh, often based on on needs that we identify as we're sailing. So as an example, you know, we, we find that, that sailing downwind can be kind of hard under the, the, the previous arrangement. We, did, we just had a Genoa and a Maine. Um, the main doesn't, it's, it's kind of hard to sail wing on wing because the, the spreaders come back, right? So so you can't leave, let the boom out all the way. So now we're just trying to sail downwind with the Genoa and, you know, the Genoa doesn't stay full on its own. And so we end up not really being able to sail downwind. Obviously, a boat can't sail straight into the wind either. So your actual like sailing angle ends up only being like 90 degrees on either side. So we, we installed a whisker pole uh a couple of years ago ourselves and that has been a huge quality life improvement um we it, you know, it's a little bit of a, a time investment to get that to get it started you know go up on deck and, and rig it um, but once you do it it just completely expands our sailing capabilities um, we installed a monitor self-steering wind vane um you know thinking about redundancy electrical redundancy in terms of, of steering the boat um and, you know, our electrical autopilot, as, as Bailin knows from experience, is not the, the most reliable. And it's also very loud. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then we've all, you know, not only just like installing it, but then also taking the time to really learn how to use it. You know, I think yeah. last summer we didn't really use the autopilot at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we spent the whole summer long just sailing with the wind vane. I think we haven't really used that autopile in a couple of years. In fact, we gotta
3: we gotta <laughs> practice with that again. Make sure, <laughs> make sure we know what the buttons do. Yeah. Um I, mean, I, I add a few other ones to so, I was actually just down there a couple of weeks ago with the surveyor because we wanted to have the boat kind of looked at from a third party and uh and make sure we were we were all set. So a couple of the other items on on that list were uh obviously a water maker. We we added that to give us some some more uh, <clears throat> fresh water on our on our trip. Um, uh, we added the uh, a, a solen stay um, this winter, so that would we have, we have a we have a, a roller furler um, head stay, which you know is convenient. But um, the, although although folks say you know you can you can furl the that that head stay, uh, you know it doesn't really perform very well, and you can't. Right. You can't reduce it that much. Um, so to, to to put in a you know a heavy weather sail, either a smaller jib or a, or a storm jib, um, it's not really practical on a on a roller f- furler. Um, so we added this extra stay that runs parallel to it. Uh, it's actually a removable stay with Dyneema, and we bought two um, new sails, um, a ninety percent or eighty seven percent whatever, and then a, and a storm jib, so we can fly those as well. Um, and I think that's going to give us a lot of extra, you know, extra options. Yeah. Uh, we 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 bought a bunch of other safety equipment too. So we've got a large uh, Paratech sea anchor um, that you know kind of oversized, so it hopefully would kind of stop the boat if we if we needed to. Uh, with the idea being, you know, we're we're exhausted, or someone's hurt, or the engine's not working, or whatever, and we just need to kind of pause. Uh, we could, you know, ideally throw out the sea anchor, go bow into the into the weather, and uh, and to kind of regroup. And then on the other side of the boat, uh, we bought a, a Jordan um, series uh, drogue, um, and uh, and that would hopefully help us in a you know a heavy weather situation where we want to slow the boat down. Yeah, um, and you know there's just a a long long list of of things we bought too, but
0: yeah. So what are you guys doing for power generation?
3: Yeah,
2: that's one that that I've spent a little bit of time thinking about. So when we bought the boat, it had about 300 watts of solar that were stitched into the canvas uh, bimini top. So what, what what somebody had done is they had taken um, like flexible stick-on solar panels and stuck them onto that like plastic corrugated cardboard and then had stitched that um, kind of composite into the bimini top and then run the wires down the, the backstay. Um, it, it, it did not provide a whole lot of power. Um, I think maybe it provided more power when those panels were new. Um, they're certainly not new anymore. Um, but it, it was never a, a big concern for us because we, you know, coastal sailing, we're using right. the engine pretty frequently. Um, and it, it actually did, it did provide plenty of power for when we're sitting at an anchor. I think what we found sailing on our own is that, you know, sailing overnight with all the nav equipment and the radar, um, you know, potentially the autopilot if we're not using the wind vane. Um, it, it just consumes a lot of power. And uh, so I actually coded up a little model um, in Python to try and understand our electrical usage and then, you know, testing different assumptions for how much power we would need, you know, with certain amounts of sunlight to satisfy all of our electrical requirements. And we were just we were nowhere close. I mean, we really needed double... <laughs> um the the solars that we had and and where are we going to put that so we kind of kicked the can down the road that was a few years ago Uh, but in preparation for this trip um we're or mostly simon is building this big hard dodger um or hard bimini top i should say uh, out of mahogany and plywood he can talk more about the details of that but then on on top of that we're going to put 600 watts of of solar panels and those those are going to be hard uh 200 watt 12 volt panels that we just got on amazon Oh, nice! You know? Yeah, and so I, you know, I, it's 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 double the capacity, you know, from factory spec. But I think in reality we're going to see our output go substantially higher than that because those old flexible panels were not producing. Yeah. Really output at all.
0: Yeah. Now, will six hundred watts give you enough that you need yourself? Is it self-sustaining or? you're going to still have to run the engine you don't have a generator I don't think correct
2: no we don't have a we don't have a generator the, the 600 watts will certainly provide enough power for not using the autopilot very now, good you know what we found is that we mostly use the autopilot when we're using the engine right cuz the 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 wind vane doesn't work if there's no wind and that's when we're running the engine right right
0: so yeah so we're pretty optimistic on that front nice so simon let's talk about this mahogany uh you're quite the woodworker. I've seen some samples of your work. It's it's quite intriguing. Uh, so let's talk about this mahogany. Uh, is it a bimini or a dodger? Well, I think, yes. Yeah, I mean,
3: everyone always says hard dodgers, hard dodgers. I've never heard people say hard bimini, but that's really what it is, right? So it's like the roof, mm-hmm. which is hard. And then um, we still have a, a vinyl and, and canvas windshield dodger, um, which is attached to the, um, the forward most... Stainless steel arch and then that's attached to the to the hard bimini. So anyway, yeah, it's it's the roof, if you will. And um, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that it's we had sort of an idea for what we needed and then but as you start building it, you know, you, if you're going to putting all the effort, you might as well make it look good, right? So it kind of <laughs> the project kind of expands from there. So it's uh, a. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so it's made of um, tongue and groove beadboard mahogany that I milled uh, uh, down to a, you know, a thickness that was still strong but would reduce some weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are together. And then running across that on the top is uh, okume, I guess you call it, uh, marine plywood. And uh, then that's glassed. So it's got fiberglass uh, and then three more layers of uh, of epoxy. And then when I'm going to do tonight after we finish talking is probably put the all grip uh, primer on the top and then start uh, all gripping it so it's getting close um <laughs> this is a long day for me the uh this morning so um uh I'm a little bit of a I can be impatient you know when it comes to these kind of projects so I had this whole thing planned out and I wanted to build it in in our shop we have a a, a two story shop And that's where I got all the tools and I started building it and it's, it was looking really big, you know, like it doesn't look, I wouldn't think it would be that that big on the, on the boat, but when you're inside, it's starting to look really, really big. So my mom actually said, you know, are you sure that's going to fit down the stairs? And I was like, I had no problem. But anyway, so when she left, I took a tape measure and I I measured it. (laughs) And according to my uh, measurements, yeah, I had about three quarters of an inch to spare. Um, And so Anyway, this morning, we took it off the buck, you know, which helps to form it. And um, uh, a guy and I lifted it, and we started to try to move it down the stairs. And we were off by, like, a foot. It was not –
0: it wasn't (laughs) even close
3: to going down. And so what I had done is, you know – and this is – if Sawyer was with me, he would have known this right off the bat, right? So I measured this, like, line, right, this, like, hypotenuse. But obviously the – the roof is not a line. It's, it's a plane. So yes. it doesn't, you know, all want to squeeze down there. And, uh, yeah, that was probably after more like two feet, uh, 18 inches. So, uh, yeah, now what? So I looked around, um, it's a brick building, an old, uh, broom factory. So there are a couple pretty large windows, but it still wouldn't fit out those. So I was gonna maybe try to take the bricks out and, uh, <laughs> and get it out there, but it's heavy. And I needed to then lower it down, you know, to the ground floor. Um, but then I checked out the joists that were, you know, at the far end of the st- stairs and there were a couple that I'm pretty sure weren't structural. Um, but just to be <laughs> sure, <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah. I'll well, just to be sure. Actually, I, I stopped and I ran to home Depot and I got a bunch of two by tens. Um, and so I was ready to put something back in if I needed to. And I got my sawzall and I cut out two, two joists and about four feet of floor and, uh, was able to get it down by again, half an inch. Um, uh, it's it's out (laughs) onto my trailer it got home it's in my garage and uh that's the hard part so now i'm ready to paint it
0: yeah boy that's quite the story so how how does this attach to the boat uh we got you know a couple
3: different uh plans for how that's going to be done we bought a bunch of different hardware and we'll see what actually works works best um you know we've got the typical i think most people have when they have like a, a bimini or the um uh, the pulpit rails, you know, it's that one-inch uh, stainless steel tubing. Right. That's that's sort of the structure. So we we modified that to create uh, a couple different arches um, around the cockpit, and then uh, we bought sort of uh, clamshell uh, hardware that goes around that tubing, um, and then it's got a, a quarter-inch by twenty thread count uh, machine screw or bolt that can go through it. Um, and so our plan is to um, to bolt through from the top down uh, I see. Use, yeah, using yeah. using some backing plates or large washers mm-hmm. uh, down into those uh, those clam cleats. Um, yeah. Um, uh, but we'll you know maybe we'll have a ratchet
0: strap at some point <laughs> on the trip. <laughs> We're
3: definitely like going to bring did, a couple in case, like, like we feel did like for the dinghy. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I remember that ratchet strap for the dinghy. <laughs>
3: I think no, I think, I think it's going to work and it's going to um, so it's going to provide a good platform for the solar panels, which we're excited about. Yeah. We're also going to set up uh, and sorry, I was working on, He was working on today, basically a, a whole series of kind of redundant communication systems on that um, on that hard Bimini. So, for example, right, typically your uh, VHF antennas on the top of your mast, which yeah. is great. it gets a little bit better range. Right. But if we were to lose our mast, we would lose our our antenna. Um, so we, uh, we bought a third radio. We're putting a third full radio in the cockpit, uh, with its own antenna on the, uh, on the, the hard Bimini, uh, and then our other main radio of course is, is down below using the, using the mast. So, um, that's one example of this, what this, uh, this new, um, hard, hard Bimini
0: is going to do for yeah. us. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice.
1: Bela, unbelievable story. And we're only halfway through this one. So, yeah. what struck you most uh, as most interesting—the uh, first part of the story?
0: <clears throat> well, I think there's this there's this nice family aspect to it of of father, son, and grandson, right? So it's actually Simon's dad is coming along on the trip, so it'll be Simon's dad, Simon, and Simon's son Sawyer. <clears throat> so it's three generations, and as as <clears throat> Simon talked about, they also have the ashes. Of Simon's father's mom that they're taking back to where she was born uh, and and gonna spread her ashes uh back in the UK, where she was from and where she's born. So there's that sort of that sort of it has purpose, right? It it has a purpose uh beyond just, you know, checking off, hey, I sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. It's it's got this real purpose to it, which I think is really kind of neat. And 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 I think I think that's that really gives it special meaning to, to those people involved in, in, in sort of this trip. Uh, And so I thought, I thought that was a really, really cool part of it.
1: Yeah. One of the things I've noticed, I mean, I've been so fortunate Bela to have known so many amazing people in my almost 56 years on the planet and getting to know people's families and my own family too, of course, but that, You know, really cool, strong families have some glue that holds them together, right? Maybe it's a shared love of cooking or... You know, maybe it's sports. I know, like my in-laws baseball was with the glue that really held them together for a long time. These shared experiences. And this trip seems like a really this cool glue that holds this family together. And every family, as you know, well, that hits hard tough times and bumps in the road and things happen. But when you have these shared experiences to me, it really seems like something that can really keep a family. Um, together now, you are also a three-generation sailing family, right? I know that you've got this boat, and your kids, <laughs> and now your right. grandkids. We've talked about right. this a lot. So, can you relate to kind of this value of this? And could you imagine doing something like this at some point um, with the three generations in your family?
0: Well, I, I don't. I don't think I can imagine sailing across the Atlantic. Uh, I, I think that's that's more than more than I want to bite off. Uh, but I will tell you, we've done. Week long, right? With with three generations on the boat, uh, with my son and his kids, and uh, it really is special, right? It it has this, uh, again, it ha- it has this sort of additional meaning and additional value to to up uh, above and beyond just going to sailing. It's, it, for me, it's almost a spiritual thing, right? It's sort of this shared experience that's that's not a shared experience that you do every day. And it's sort of a special thing. It brings special meaning to it. Now, I'll tell you, my my two granddaughters, who are ages nine and seven now, last year, they spent a, a week on the boat with just Elaine and I, and they coined that camp paradox. Mm. So this year, cool. right, where they, hey, pop, when, when are we going to have camp paradox?
1: <laughs>
0: awesome. Right? So, you know, I mean, those are, that's what, <clears throat> hey, that to me, that's what life's all about right yep. when, when when those types of things happen i say to myself uh, buying the boat was great thing and and you can have that. you don't have to buy a boat to have these types of experiences you you have to figure out how to make opportunities so you can have experiences like this wh- whether they be you know, in your backyard or at your house, you can make yep. these special things happen.
1: Right. Or you spend but, 20 bucks and take them bowling. You know what I mean? Right. right Once Exactly. summer you have a family bowling tournament, right? It can <laughs> right. be, it can be simple and easy or right. Horseshoes in the back. I don't think they do horseshoes anymore cause the kids get hit in the head, but you know <laughs> what I mean, right? Some sort of something right. inexpensive, badminton or something that you can pick up for 20 bucks at target, you know, kind of thing. And, and, and make That's it an right. annual tradition. I love That's it.
0: Right. That's those are the things that are, that are, that are very meaningful. And important. So I think that's great. And and, and I think this is going to be for Simon and his, his family is going to be one of those moments that everyone will cherish and remember forever.
1: Love it. Now let's move into the preparation issues. Cause this was mm. fascinating to me as kind of the non-sailor is what do you have to do? I can't even imagine doing it, but once you kind of get over this thing of thinking about being on a boat with your dad and your kid, right. <laughs> um, for all this time, under all these <coughs> yeah. conditions, you know, you have to, Get ready. And it's a long process. What do you think is the are the most important elements of the prep that listeners should really be paying special attention to for anybody who's even remotely thinking about something like mm. this? So I, I think
0: there's this, there's, there's three, three aspects to this. Uh, there's sort of the boat and the equipment, uh, making sure that everything, you know, is functioning and you have all the equipment you need and we can talk, you know, about safety equipment and re- communication equipment. And then there's sort of the preparation of your mind and body, because this is going to be, to your mind and body, a totally new experience. <laughs> I don't care if you've been out, you know, for three or four days cruising along the coast of the East Coast. This is sort of different. I, I, can, I can remember coming back from Nova Scotia, right? It's just four days, and you're just out there. And it was like, it was a different experience. And 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 the other, so I think you gotta you got to think about preparing your mind and your body and the boat and the equipment. So those are sort of the categories. I think one of the big things is this notion of redundant systems. I, I think about this, and, and I think there's a lot of lot of shared uh, uh, processes and things that you can learn from the from the aircraft industry, or from the airline industry, right? Where they have they have three sets of radios. They have. They have all this redundant stuff because when when they're up in the air, they're sort of on their own and they got to figure out how to make this thing work and bring it into port, so to speak. And this is the same. So you have to have redundancy in your systems. So what are the things you got to have to do? You have to have a a solid hull in a boat that doesn't leak. (laughs) So that stays afloat, right? You got to figure out how can I make sure my boat keeps floating? Number one. And number two, how can I make sure I have some kind of propulsion <laughs> that I, that I can go in the direction the wind is going to blow me because eventually I'll hit land <laughs> and then I got to have enough food and water to survive. And th- those are sort of the, the, the fundamental basic things. Uh, so think about, you know, what, what sort of things do I need to do to ensure that my boat is watertight, right? The first thing they do after they, make this beautiful hull out of fiberglass on a boat is they drill a bunch of holes in it. <laughs> to, to, to put doesn't make any of, sense to me. <laughs> right. right So I have all these holes in my boat. Now, you know, if one of those fittings breaks off, how am I going to stop the water from coming in? Right. Those are the types of things I got to think about. And, you know, it's one thing if that happens to me in Narragansett Bay, because, uh, I'm you know, I'm not going to die, but if I'm in the middle Atlantic ocean, you know, it's a lot more serious. So there's, there's those types of things.
1: What about the weather? They talked a lot more about weather planning and exit routes and things like this. I mean, how is that? I mean, intuitively I kind of get that it's a much bigger deal, but maybe you could explain to me a little bit why that's such a big deal going across the ocean versus a shorter trip.
0: Well, on a shorter trip, you know, the weather forecast for the next three days is pretty darn accurate. I, I can, I can go sail down the coast of, the East coast someplace I can be out for three days and I know I'm not going to hit any big storms because the, the I might get a thunderstorm, but that's going to last 20 minutes. It's no big deal, but I, I'm not going to get a hurricane, right? I'm not going to get a big low. That's going to really churn over top of me for three or four days because the forecast for the the three or four day horizon is really good. I mean, it's gotten really, really good. Yeah, they might say the winds are going to be 15 miles an hour and they turn out to be 20 miles an hour, but th- that's round off error when it comes to this kind of stuff. But when when you're when the trip's taking you 15 to 20 days <laughs> and you only have a 3 or 4 day weather horizon and there's no real exit, right? There's no I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm 10 miles offshore. When I'm when I'm going up and down the east coast and something happens or some storm is coming, I, probably within a day, at the longest, I can be in be in port if something happens to me. But that's the longest that that it'll take me to get into port. Well, I, out there, there's <laughs> it's I, there is no there's no place for me to go. So, so there are these things called weather routers. There's companies that you can h- hire, which is basically a meteorologist. You you tell them where you want to go, you le- when you when you want to leave. And and they will we'll give you weather reports and, and they do it on a periodic basis and you can decide whether you want one every day, you want one every three days or whatever. And so what they can do is they can make adjustments to the direction that you go in. So they can say, you know what, I know you're trying to get to the Azores, but you know what? We're going to deviate a little bit more further north because there's this storm churning down south, and we're going to, want to try to avoid and stay away from that. Or we want to avoid and stay away from it. And we want to take advantage of the winds that that storm is 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 doing, right? So when you're far away from a storm, you can take advantage of some of those winds. They can help move you in the direction you want to go. Uh, so there's there's that kind of deviation that you can make in your course there's really no exit as there is when you're doing coastal cruising. So I think that's the biggest, biggest difference. And it's, I think it's very wise to to hire one of these weather routers. Uh, I know Simon and Sawyer did. And, you know, every three days they get an updated weather report. That tells them what, what's going on, what to expect for the next three or four days. And it also then helps you prepare to say, hey, day after tomorrow, it's going to get really windy. <laughs> so So, you know, get ready for that. Make sure you're well-rested, right? Make sure you, you're well-fed, you're well-kept, well good, good nutrition and hydration and stuff because you might have a rough day or two coming. So I think that's an important part of it.
1: Yeah. What about the other question I had for you is, you know, Simon made a part for his boat and, you know, he yeah. said, okay, talented woodworker, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is great. But is that something people do? Do people like build their own stuff for their boat or is this a little bit uncommon?
0: Uh, I think it's a little bit uncommon. So uh, he built what's called a hard dodger. So on on my boat, I have a dodger made out of canvas. Right, it's got aluminum frame, and it's canvas, and it's got clear plastic windows, so I can see through it. But basically, what it does, it's like the windshield of a car. Think of yourself in a convertible, right? And it's the windshield of the car. Uh, and and what he, what he did is he built a roof for the car,
1: <laughs> hard top,
0: right? A <laughs> hard top. And that's mainly to stay out of the weather, right? So, like, you know, in my boat, if it rains, I'm getting wet. <laughs> if I'm in the cockpit, I'm getting mm-hmm. wet. Well, if you have a hard dodger and you can put sides on it, you can stay dry. And comfort is an important aspect of keeping your mind and body, you know, in a, in good shape Solid mm. for something like this. So I think it's rare that people do that kind it's not unheard of, but it, it's – most people – don't do that. Right. But Simon said, Hey, I want a hard Dodger on here. And I I think it's wise. I mean, he's got the skill and the talent to do it. And and I I think it'll be great.
1: And he can get it just, it sounds like he got it just the way he wanted it. And he made the adjustment for the
0: antennas and things like this, right? right?
1: This is kind of cool. Right. Right. So fascinating. And then kind of, um, the last question about that, that I had in my head for you is like, okay. Um, if you put something like this on your boat, does it affect the aerodynamics at all? Does it slow you down? I mean, I know we talked about weight and so there's some weight issues, but is it just a matter of some extra weight or is there anything else there that you need to kind of be, will it change the way the boat sails essentially?
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure, Mike, but I I don't think it's going to add anything appreciable or anything that you're going to notice. Uh, it's, it's, you know, his, his boat's a heavy boat. It weighs, um. I think it's like 28, 29,000 pounds. Right. So, so another it, couple hundred it, pounds for this thing, right. right? A couple hundred pounds. Uh, it's not going to add now. It will add windage, right? Mm-hmm. So if the wind is blowing, uh, it adds sort of windage. And one of the things you do when you're in a storm is you try to take everything down that you can to reduce the amount of windage you have. Um, uh, So you really can't take this down. It's up there. Right. It's hard. It's hard. My my, my Dodger, I can take off my Dodger. I can take off my Bimini. Uh, This is up there. So that may be the the slight thing that you might want to consider, but I I don't think it's a big deal.
1: But out in the middle of the Atlantic, it's trade-offs, right? And I get it. So it's like, okay, to to be dry and to have this feeling that you're a little bit in control of your environment when you're not, right, is probably worth that little bit of extra kind of windage or the the risk when you're in a storm.
0: Yeah, I th- I agree. I agree. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Good. So what do you think? Uh, wrap this one up and uh, looking forward to part two, which will be yeah. episode 85. Uh, listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode. And obviously Bailey and I thought this was really interesting and we hope you found it interesting and thought provoking as well. As always, if you have questions about what we've talked about, please feel free to get in touch with us. The best way is by email, sailingtheeast, that's all
0: one word, at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, hit that follow button on your podcasting application and uh, tell your friends about it. i uh, like to get some more listeners. That's always fun to do. So, hope to see you out there. So, until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you all soon.
1: Bela, thanks from over here in Münster, Germany. I look forward to seeing you next time.